One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Return of the Mead. Yeah. Return of the Mead. Woo. Return of the Mead. You know the Mead is back. Oh, Come Chloe. On. Welcome to Upfront slash Top of the Pops. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. After 428 days, not that anyone's counting, Beth Mead is back amongst the ghost people and she's back in the England squad. We discuss an eventful week for Mead and what it means for Arsenal and England going forward. Plus, we ask what Ellie Raybuck's next move should be. Why no mid-table team can find any consistency in the WSL. And we look ahead to the big international break, including legend Christine Sinclair's big exit. Canadian football journalist Harja Howe joins us to look back on Sinclair's incredible career and how she'll be remembered. Right, as always, every single week, before we get truly stuck in to the weekend's drama, what is your big moment of the weekend, Rach? Well, I knew what I was going to say and then you told me what you were going to say. So, <laughs> I'm going first, so I don't know why you're teeing. <laughs> um, it was going to be, I like we did, of course, mead, but we're going to talk about mead. So maybe I'll make mine a bit more specific. Go on. Uh, given I know what yours is. And that's going to be Bunny Shaw's second goal. Oh, okay. Just, yeah. Because I know, honed in. Yeah. I just, I watched that goal and I was like, wow. It was the movement, her change of direction. The way she lost her markers was incredible. And then, you know, she had to like really dip down to get her head on it and direct it past the goalkeeper. Beautiful. It was such a good goal. I feel like I really summarised her as a player, like all the different attributes and aspects to her game. Um, so I'll pick that one. Okay, well, I was going to take a more um, zoomed back version of that, which is the fact that Bonnie Shaw scored all of those three goals in 14 minutes and 52 seconds to nail 
the coffin of Spurs' incredible start to the season. Um, yeah, Spurs obviously haven't been beaten by that amount in quite a long time. Pretty much around the same time, actually. Last year, wasn't it, to Brighton? Was it the big 8 0? Oh my God, remember that? That was about, yeah, that anomaly. That, that was bonkers. It's that. So it's kind of, um, maybe it's just a, you know, just a throwback to last season. It's funny you called that 8 0 win an anomaly, which it was, but it's interesting how this Man City 7 0 win has now been the thing that this shows the gap in the WSL is massive and it's getting bigger. And it's you're like, not. okay, calm down. It's still just another anomaly. It is an anomaly. I mean, when you look at Spurs' form this season, I don't. I think we should just take this in isolation. Sometimes you just have a shitter and sometimes you've got to just concede the Bonnie Shaw's on the pitch and things will happen. Well, we'll get to this, but, you know, the, the thing I think that we've accused Man City of a little bit this season is a lack of clinical finishing. And when you have a game like that where you... 10 shots on target... Mm. Seven in goals. That, that's seventy percent. That my is, GCSE math serves me correctly. That is unreal. Mm. Um, so, some when you have a game like that, and a team is just going to be that clinical, a bit like Leicester Arsenal second half. Yep, everything they touch turned to a goal. Yeah, I think City were having one of those days. They looked frightening, but also. It's not like Spurs played terribly. No, they didn't. <laughs> and actually had opportunities themselves and Kiara Keating pulled off some top saves. Um, but yeah, when you're on that kind of form, you just can't miss. Full of joy at the Joy Stadium. Oh, thank you. Did you write that down? Did you have that prepared? I actually didn't, but uh, if that anyone was... wants to trademark that, they can. That was excellent. Right, let's get stuck in. We're going to start. We normally go either start in the top with a big, big clash or we start at the bottom for a relegation round robin. Today, we're going to start in the middle of the bloody table. All right, we're going to spice it up. All right, we're going to go for the mid-table madness and we're going to start first off with the biggest upset of the weekend, Liverpool battering Brighton 4-0. I wasn't expecting this. I was expecting this was going to be a much more evenly matched battle. I think Melissa Phillips' side has done so well at the start of the season in kind of consolidating, building, looking like a team. You know, taking points off of, you know, teams like Man City that they've kind of never been doing before. And then all of a sudden they face someone that should be kind of a, a mid-table rival and they fall apart. But I can't say that they fell apart completely because the first 20, 25 minutes, it was all Brighton. Yeah. I was thinking, Liverpool, you're against, your back's against the ropes here. And then one goal and it seemed to change their entire fortune. I mean, Rachel, what was, what was your take on this? Why did the collapse just happen? <laughs> It was Teagan Michael had to pull off some really Whoa. good saves, didn't she, in the first half? Um, it was it was such an interesting one because, like you said, yeah, I would argue that's one of the biggest surprises of the weekend. That and the Man City Tottenham game, destruction. Yeah, um, I think as Matt Beard said, it was one of Liverpool's best performances. He thinks I think that first twenty minutes was or like Brighton looked really really sharp Liverpool and they absent. Yeah, and they could have been two or three nil up. And when those goals, when they didn't um, get those goals in, I guess it kind of gives you, when a team is, has their back up against it and they're preventing those goals going in and you're like, okay, we're still in this. We can get a foothold mm-hmm. in this. And they got a foothold in it. There was a ruthlessness to the way that Liverpool played, particularly in the second half, where they just looked so dangerous every time they went forward. Um, Mel Phillips did acknowledge post-match that the changes, that she was, they were frustrated with the two goals they conceded in the in the first half. So they should. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it won one from a set piece and it was one of those blink and you miss it kind of goals from a corner. It was mm-hmm. whipped in. Um, but then she said that they obviously made changes. I think they went from a, I've seen different things around, but from, from looking at the game, it looked more like they'd set up in a 3-4-3. They went then to a 4-3-3, I think, in the second half, which which is understandable when you're trailing and you want to be a bit more attacking, but it also means that you lose that defensive, you know, 
support when the other team is attacking and those two wing backs or full backs aren't able to drop back in the same way. Um, and she recognised that they were more exposed then in the second half to those transitions. Like you said, one of those goals was just like straight from the keeper and the defenders were completely caught out. That's what the, you literally messaged on, on the group chat. They looked quite, like Melissa Phillips had said, they looked quite exposed. And I said, exposed is a kind, <laughs> kind word to describe what happened when the keeper went long and it was just like, there was it was a 1v1 situation. And like, that's that's really basic Sunday league type stuff. Like you've pressed up high. Yeah. But your recovery has got to be then second to none in getting back. I yeah. mean, I love the fact that she started on the front foot. I mean, Turland, I thought she was going to absolutely set it. I mean, she did set the tone Two incredibly good opportunities. If it wasn't for um, for the goalkeeper, T- um, T- Tegan, Micah. Tegan, Micah, I keep going, Micah, Tegan. Um, <laughs> then they would have been 2-0 up and I think it would have been a completely different story. But yeah, I mean, who else though? 27 minutes in, Gemma Bonner flicks in. It now makes her all-time record WSL appearances. This is what I've heard on the grapevine. Is it 138? Is that what it it's is? It's huge. Yeah, it's like... What a time to score. I mean, Christ. Um, yeah, and then in the 43rd minute, obviously, Sinise van der Sanden. New baby mama. New baby mama. And didn't she celebrate like a new baby mama? She had that amazing uh, celebration when she was sort of rocking the baby in the arms and all like I think Kerry Holland as well tried to get on board with that. And even after that, after the, um, the game had finished, she had... Um, Oh, who did she have in her arms? Taylor Hines. Oh, yeah, she she picked up Taylor Hines and held her <laughs> like a baby as Kerry Holland looks on. And I thought it's quite a lovely so imagery. That Gemma Bonner. Um, it was Liverpool's appearance record. Um, that she'd broken. So Sophie Ingle has the appearance record for WSL. But yeah, yeah. but like, yeah, lovely culmination of a moment like that to then score as well. Um, is pretty special. Um, but yeah, I thought it was like we've talked about Brighton in the past and we saw it against Man City where they defensively are generally resolute and often force teams into those kind of shots from further out right mm-hmm. that's kind of what we saw with Manchester City Liverpool they were breaking well they were getting in close like that I think it was either the third or fourth goal it was a third goal shock and defending where I don't know if if Tor's daughter here like missed it and then thought it was out and it wasn't out and Hogue was there and she Bizarre. poked it back in and the yeah. dink over yeah. yeah and then their fourth goal brilliant to see the other thing for Liverpool is players coming back you know Leanne Kiernan Lee Fahey yeah. got on the pitch yeah. and Leanne Kiernan assisted that last goal which is just what you want to see so to, for Liverpool to be having those types of performances and still getting players back is going to give them such a huge boost. I've got to pick out Sophie Roman Hag though as the absolute standout in that game. I mean, she was pretty much a part of every single goal, whether it was actually scoring the goals or actually assisting in them. She just seemed to be at the right place at the right time. And for me, I think she's going to be sort of like that. That WSL Liverpool one to watch going Yeah, forwards. I was really excited when she was signed. We saw... Watch. I know Norway didn't have a great World Cup, but we saw what she could do when Hegerberg was benched or, or not on the pitch or whatever. And um, it was quite exciting. And of course, it often takes a little while for players to, especially number nines, to fit in or, or players up front to fit in um, or, or to start scoring immediately. So um, she's starting to find her feet. She's back from injury as well. She, didn't she have that broken nose as well? Do you remember? Was that her? Yeah, didn't she have to wear that bat face? For a while? <laughs> um, but yeah, super exciting. As I say, like it feels like pieces are really coming together for Liverpool now. Well, moving on then to another mid-table clash. Uh, Aston Villa failed to take advantage of their recent momentum with a 2-1 defeat at Villa Park against a struggling Everton. Um, I mean, this wasn't a game that I kind of predicted would go either way. I mean, Villa, I just I can't even believe that we're even saying Villa against Everton this season. Yeah, it probably should be a draw. It's a weird one because they obviously started to get better results in this block. But even that... West Ham win that was 
lucky. You know what I mean? Get to come away with the three points from that was lucky. And I think maybe what's frustrating for me with Aston Villa, like this is a big game for both of them mm-hmm. because whoever took away the three points would get them another step away from the relegation zone and probably put another team or two between them and the relegation zone. And that's what's happened um, for Everton. But I don't know if I'm hugely surprised by it or not because it's almost like Aston Villa maybe thought, not that they had this one in the bag. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that, but they were so positive about this block and they were like, all we have left to do now is to beat Everton and it's really going to be in the, you know, a great window for us, a great block of games for us, move us up the table. And I don't know, maybe they took their eye off the ball a little bit. Um, but Everton were, I was quite impressed with them defensively compared to what we've seen. They frustrated Aston Villa. I think it was a bit of a scrappy game, but and Everton still struggling to score from open play. <laughs> Not that they'll care coming away with the three points. Um, but yeah, you know, they would less possession, less chances created, less shots on target, and they've still come away with the win. So yeah, I just wonder a little bit, maybe did Aston Villa underestimate Everton or, I don't know, a bit too casual about the game? You know, I was listening to it on the way home on the radio and the second half, <laughs> all the action happened in the space of about two minutes. Mm-hmm. An own goal and then daily down the other end almost immediately. And then the penalty, and then it just sounded like it was Aston Villa, Aston Villa, Aston Villa pushing and pushing and pushing, and Everton kept them out, and that will do them, give them a huge amount of confidence as well, because that's an area that I'm sure they've been worried about. I've been worried about Everton defensively, so to have kept Villa out in the way that they were pressing for um, an equaliser will give them a huge boost. I'm, and look, it looks like Everton bloody love playing a big stadium, big stadium, because that's <laughs> where they they won against Liverpool, and now they've won at Villa Park. Well, I think that's the thing now with what they've just achieved. I mean, you can't underestimate the importance of those three points. I know we're only sort of eight games into the season, but now those three points put them with eight all together. I mean, West Ham, Bristol City still on four points apiece. So, you know, they are creeping away from the relegation spot, which is a, it was obviously a spot that, that Everton are very, very familiar with. So, But do you think then, I mean, when we look at these kind of mid-table teams, we look at someone like Villa, who we had high expectations of. We look at someone like Leicester, who are still sort of started off fairly strong, but, you know, have sort of struggled in, in recent weeks. And that's obviously a big part of that has been that they've played top four sides. Do we think that the sort of, um, that our expectations from this season are different with these types of teams than they were last season? Yeah, and it's something that Willie Kirk touched on pre-match. He said that he thinks the team are maybe struggling a little bit now with the expectation of winning games, those games in and around them. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, last season we'd written off Leicester, yep. right? And if they got a point or three points from anywhere, it was impressive. Whereas now, because they're playing well, they've had some impressive results along the way. You know, even in games they've lost, like against Man City, they played well it's almost like the expectation now is shifted. And when you see these teams that are in and around each other in the league, playing each other more in the mid table, the expectation now, it's the same at Brighton. You expect them to now go and win. You're expecting Leicester to maybe come away at points. Um, and he said that maybe that's something the players are struggling with a little bit now as they have expectation on mm-hmm. them. Um, whether that's an excuse or not, I don't know. But but I think that's nice. It's yeah. I think it's a changing, it's a sign of the times, isn't it? That you're, you're going into a game like Leicester-Arsenal where I would have put... 
I think my initial thoughts were, okay, Arsenal are probably going to win that game, but I was thinking it's going to be very evenly matched. And for the first half, it was hairy as hell for Arsenal. So I think Leicester were the better team. It, it's that, that. On the first half, they should have won the game. So I think it's nice now that we actually have these expectations, like Spurs. We're, we're expecting Spurs to do better than they did. That Man City 7 0 was absolutely completely unexpected at all. I think the odds on that were about 200 to 1. I, I should have just put a pound down, to be honest, but. Yeah, I just I think that's a nice place to be in that we're not just going into games thinking, oh, it's Arsenal Leicester, it's going to be an absolute destruction, or it's, you know, Man City Spurs, which which was an absolute destruction, but we're not expecting it to be a destruction. No. And I think, you know, we talk about journeys that teams are on, and they're all in, on different parts of their journeys. And some teams, maybe you could say, have a bit of a head start. They've been in the game longer, they have better support, better funding, so they're further ahead. But that's something Willie Kirk is is very keen to do, is to reflect on where they are in their journey and to, you know, these matches, that match won't define Spurs' season. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what they're doing is saying, looking at that first half against Arsenal and saying, that's how we can play when Mm -hmm. we get things right. Yeah. And it comes with experience getting things right all the time because it's really bloody hard to do. Um, And it's knowing that this is how good we can be. Now we need to get to a position with our training, with our investment, with other players that we bring in, that that's the level that we maintain rather than achieve every other half. And consistency. Consistency. And they're they're all on this different level of a journey. And it's quite exciting because I know we were touched there on 7-0 win. It means there's a massive gap and the gap's getting bigger. For me, it, it's that gap is getting smaller. And it's not getting smaller mm-hmm. quickly, but it is getting smaller because they're moving further along on their journey. And I think, yeah, sometimes it's better to take a bit more of a holistic or, or bigger approach when you're reviewing these kind of games. A wider lensed angle. Oh, that's it. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Well, we've had a nice, tasty little question come in because I think we obviously work in football. We're constantly in the thick of it all the time. We come across so much difficulty trying to capture every single moment of the weekend. And why is that? Because some of the fixtures happen to be all at the same time. So we had a question in from Illy dot one dot six that is a great name please tell us what that means um they said what do you think about all of the wsl fixtures being on one day i think we kind of they're not all on one day sometimes they are on we do have one fixture on a saturday which is a nice you know a nice special but we do have a lot of fixtures that seem to start at the sort of 12 12 30 one fixture starts then and then we have about four games that start at two o'clock um, and then we have sort of one game that might start at half four and then another game that might start Even at Even the half like four one's an anomaly. 6.45 and it does feel like actually you have to choose which two o'clock game you're going to watch. You can only you can only play one half of the 12.30 game. You can kind of only see one half of the 4.30 game before the 6.45 one kicks off and then I quite like the 6.45 fixture because it allows me to sit down with a, with a nice bottle of red now that it's got cosy and oh, the, the rain's coming down outside. It's a perfect night. And it's on Sky Sports and it kind of feels like a little bit of a, I don't know. It's um, This is how we, <laughs> like, not even time off, but this is where we're like, this is what's going to be me time. And I'm going to spend <laughs> yeah. me time watching football. Let's get back to the question. Do we think it is absolutely bloody ridiculous that you cannot see the full day's schedule of fixtures while they're not more evenly spread across? Like we had a Friday night game, didn't we, not too long ago. Yeah. Um, and then we have one on Saturday and obviously I, I appreciate we have to take into account the Premier League but <laughs> at the same time we need to do better with scheduling so that people can access those games and watch them yes but touching on the Premier League mm. um, you can't see all those games either um, mm. you know there's been conversation around like do we need the 3pm blackout in the women's game 
that's something that you could touch on. Um, I I mean, selfishly, yeah, I want them spread out. I want to see all of them. Well, interestingly enough, it was the uh, DCMS uh, panel uh, last week and they had the head people from ITV, uh, Sky and the BBC all discussing whether the 3pm blackout should be uh, used for the women's fixtures. And the sort of resounding sort of takeaway point from that was that they should and that we should at least trial it. They were kind of saying it's not going to be a one-stop shop or kind of fix all for everything because also you've got to appreciate that, you know, around that time, a lot of people like to actually go to the game. So you might actually might not find that the attendances are going to be that great during the 3pm time. And also, I mean, like you were saying before it started, 6.45 I think is a nice cosy little night in, but is anyone going to go to a 6.45 game on a Sunday? You know, when we talk about that, Basically, we we sometimes think that the women's game is going to have the same problem that the men's game has without actually trying it. Mm-hmm. And we do have different audiences to tap up in the women's game. And, and I appreciate it can be annoying when the men's team and the women's team play at the same time, for sure. But I think it's I'd rather trial it and see rather than just decide without any real insight that it won't work. Yeah. And the 3pm blackout was something that was started, I think, in and around the 1970s to help the Premier League. I'm not even sure you need it in the Premier League anymore. Well, no. And that's what they were kind of saying on this DCMS panel is that it's completely outdated and that actually you're just sort of blocking off this period of time for absolutely no reason. So uh, basically, we definitely advocate the 3pm spot being used for women's football. And we don't think the WSL fixtures all being on one day is a very good idea. But thank you, Illy.1.6, for that incredible question. Really appreciated that. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. A legend's come back. She's back. She's come back. Welcome. And not only has she come back, she scored two incredible goals. She's goals. Yeah, yeah. She's back to absolute full capacity Peak yeah this is not kind of like a you know those return to work days okay where you might you know pop in keeping in touch yeah keeping in the kit days yeah. it's, not, it's not keeping in touch day where she just comes and stands <laughs> in the pitch for five minutes and is like thanks guys see you yeah, next yeah. week you know, <laughs> that. this is a full force Beth Mead back in action um, she scored her first goal since returning from injury as Arsenal beat West Ham comfortably 3-0 it was her first goals in 428 days I wonder if she has those calendars you know you can sort of mark the X and sort of mark it down until the next Maybe. one uh, we should have to have a calendar and a half wouldn't she <laughs> anyway Rach you were at the game um, I mean how was it to see her return and to score with such class I mean 
the reception, how was it being in there for that moment? Unreal. Um, I feel like I manifested this before the game because <laughs> I'd been at their Bristol... Did your nan light a candle again? Probably, yeah. No. Um, I think it was the Bristol County Cup game that she featured in and nearly scored but didn't. And then I was at the Leicester Arsenal game that she nearly scored in and didn't. And then I haven't been to an Arsenal game since. And I was like, obviously really wanted to score, but then I was like, mm, if she doesn't score and she waits until the Arsenal-West Ham game that I'm going to be at, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was sat down North Bank End with the fans behind me and I was like, if Beth Mead could just score a great goal just here and then turn and then celebrate. And she did exactly that twice. Um, so that was very cool lovely to see dedicated that first goal to her mom as well um, and what I really loved was the emotion on the faces of everybody else on the team yeah. when she scored that was really lovely because they'll have known what she it's nice when that happens in any team when a player comes back from long term injury and they score a goal or they make a tackle or whatever it is it's seeing the team around them knowing they know personally what that player has gone through and everything else that Beth Mead has gone through as well um, and oftentimes that's like the monkey on their back to just get that get that goal get that first goal back um, and I, when she picked up the ball and she took on the player in my head I was like this is going to be a goal mm-hmm. like she's had that head on her where she was determined she was going to do her dazzling footwork which she still has um, and, and not just any old goal either she scored with her left foot I asked her about it after the game and she was like I was really happy because normally my left foot left foot is for standing on and actually she scored an absolute belter with it. So well done, Beth. It was just a really like iconic moment. It was like when um like Viv came back or, you know, like it's just it's just if it, it just feels Chloe like Kelly. Yeah, like any of the greats coming back just feels like it warrants this massive crowd like atmosphere, this kind of it, and I don't think it even matters like what who you support in those moments. It's just like a, a celebration of an icon returning to, to glory. There was a lovely moment actually in that game. I saw a clip online where Viv came on and Sissoko just said to her, Welcome back. And Viv was like, Thanks. And I was like, guys, she's you're so, so sweet. Sissoko's so lovely. She's such a lovely like lovely person she's so like wholesome um, so that was a lovely little interaction she gets well. so much shit though so so cool. oh Obviously. she's like badass on the pitch but like she'll like tackle someone like super tough tackle and then turn around and be like you alright um, <laughs> so she is very lovely and warm well she also does have I think the reputation precedes her because we met her on the um, WSL uh, media day back in September and she obviously is the one of the nicest she's players so that I've sweet. ever met but she also is the most red carded player in WSL history is so she? yeah she is yeah just three three oh, red cards okay. it's not a lot no. but yeah it, it makes her the highest red carded player so she likes those tackles and she likes them strong but I rate that I do rate that and, and look you can go and tackle someone hard and then turn around and give them a hand up well, that's Lovely. how it should be. It should yeah. be competitive. It should be aggressive. Uh, Mead versus Meadamar. We've got a question in from Guna0875. What, what is it with all these, you know, quite Guna unusual... Guna0874 was taken. Do you reckon? Yeah. All right. Well, I've got Guna0873. So um, who gets the puppy after the match on Friday? Is it Mead or is it Meadamar? Don't they live together? Yeah, they do. So I'm pretty sure both of them. And in... it just sleeps in the middle of them. Well, why not? Gets all the love and attention. Well, maybe Mead gets to take it out on a wall because she scored the goals this weekend. Maybe Extra that's cuddles. what we should do. Mm. That's what we should say. Yeah. So, Meadamar, if you want more control of the puppy, then do better and score more goals. <laughs> 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 I don't mean that, Meadamar. You did a fantastic job. Um, Arsenal face Chelsea on Sunday, December tenth, after the international in the international the international oh, break. Sean <laughs> the international break. <laughs> Um, this, of course, came just after Serena Vigman recalled Mead to the England squad on Tuesday. Um, 
This is massive. After Wiegmann previously saying in was it October, September time that, you know, Mead still wasn't ready. She still hadn't got minutes. It was still too early to call it. And then literally a month later, Mead's back in the squad. I mean, just the mentality of that, I think, is huge. I mean, we've seen it's almost like, thank you, Serena, for picking me back in the squad. Here's the two goals. You picked well. She rises to yeah, the yeah. challenge, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it'll have a similar effect on England. Like, it picks up a team, doesn't it, when you get a player back and a, a well-performing player and a player that you can rely on for goals and for assists. And that is what Beth Mead does and is doing already. So I think it's great. I think it's a, you know, a nod to the fact that she's been doing so well and fought so hard and she's performing. And we might not see her start, but we might see her come on. And it's, she's such a weapon. I she's think it's, um, you can't underestimate also the personality that Mead brings to the squad. I mean, obviously... Leah Williamson's out, not going to see her until hopefully early next year, but we still don't know the sort of timings. Bright has obviously, you know, gone down with a knee injury. She's been um, taken or withdrawn from the England squad. So you've got, you've already got sort of players that, you know, the, the sort of more experienced, level-headed players, the ones that, you know, a little bit, you know, senior, mature players dropping out. I feel like Mead is a kind of nice replacement for someone like Bright at this time when the team's feeling a little bit unsettled. They're obviously under massive pressure to try and make these uh, these two Olympic qualifying games. Mead, even if, like you said, it doesn't start, I think her presence on the bench and around the camp and, you know, having been a part of these like, high high intensity, high pressure games is going to do absolute wonders for the, the mentality, of, the mentality yeah. of the squad. England are going to need to draw on that because there's pressure, big pressure on this window got the Netherlands on Friday, we've got Scotland on Tuesday, two huge games. And if my calculations are correct, Go on, try it. England need to win both games and yep. hope that Belgium drop points. Yeah, if Belgium win both of their games, it doesn't matter if we win ours. Right, well, it's a lot, a lot of pressure. Um, so to feel like rather than just players being injured and not being in the squad, you've got some weapons coming back. Um, that's a good thing. And we know Beth Mead performs well at Wembley, scored a hat-trick against Northern Ireland as well. One of the quickest, remember? Um, so, yeah, maybe we just need to manifest a Beth Mead goal at Wembley. Okay. Shall we? All right. Well, yeah, should we do like a... Double bubble... Like a seance. Yeah. Like a a seance. <laughs> <laughs> right, if you could choose your starting attacking lineup. Say Mead, obviously I know she's probably unlikely to start in those games, given that she is still sort of coming back. I know she had her first start for Arsenal. She could start the England game, but it would be a little bit risky. But who do we think, if we take out the fact that Mead is a sort of still coming back? Backline, I reckon you'd have Neve Charles, Jess Carter, Alex Greenwood and Lucy Bronze. I think Neve Charles has been brilliant. I think yep. she should start. Yep. Walsh. Yes. Um, I'd like to see LJ in the 10, personally. Yeah. I mean, you can't ignore her, really. She's unignorable. God, this is like... Come on, help me out here. I, do, you, do you start Mead? I, I really like... I'd love to see El, um, Hemp and Russo playing in a two again. I loved that. I really enjoyed it. I don't know if Vegan that would... That partnership. I'll always remember that partnership it. in the China game. Yeah. That was where it sort of... That was the first time we'd seen it and it was so effective. Bear in mind it was against China. Mm. Completely different opposition. But it was... A thing of beauty. But I do think as well, if LJ's in the 10, it leaves space for Chloe Kelly to come in. I think she deserves to start as well. I think her and Hemp have been absolutely Brilliant. unreal. Lauren Hemp is and arguably they, unplayable at the moment and one of England's most consistent players. The goal that she she's scored. She's having is, an unbelievable She's having a field season. day. She's oh, having an absolute field day. Unreal. But I do think there is a partnership there with, like, with Kelly and Hemp that I just think you can't 
They've been together now for so long. I love it. And it just I'd works. hate to be defense. You'd be like, well, don't push them left because she's... Well, don't push them right because she's... You're like, kind of way, it's like, bow tie, she's going to get you. And then get like, the field. LJ through the middle. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, maybe let's manifest that fun. <laughs> that okay. kind of craziness. All right. Well, we'll see. It'll be a good... I mean, it, you know, with Serena Meegwin, she doesn't like consistency anymore. We could see a whole load of rotations happening in this game. Yeah. and. Rightly so. I mean, it's literally throw the absolute sink and barn door at this thing, really. You've got nothing left Could to lose. Could we start more than 11? Would anyone notice? <laughs> um, get, get herps up front. Why not? Crash Actually, him. Speaking of herps. Go on. Ellie Roebuck. Rachel, I don't even know where to start with this. Okay, let's just, let's just go back to how this all happened. So Ellie Roebuck in May was red-carded last game of the season for Man City against Man United, took out Nikita Paris on the edge of just, well, probably about 10, 10, 12 feet outside the edge of the box. It was a clear red card. I don't think anyone's disputing that. Since then, she's obviously been at the World Cup, arguably Earps is number two. Obviously, didn't see a minute of the World Cup, but that was to be expected. Earps is on absolutely flying form and she, you know, it would be weird for us to see her in that spot anyway. I'm assuming probably had quite a nice tournament with Earps challenging her. They're at the same level. They're sort of, you know, playing for top four clubs. Um, yeah. And then obviously off the back of that, what we see at the start of this season is Kiara Keating going goal, which is phenomenal to give a 19 year old that kind of um, exposure very early on. But it did sort of pose a question. OK, well, is Roebuck injured? What's happened to her? You know, what's going on? With she only- wasn't even making the team sheet. It's that. So out of the eight games that we've seen so far, so I worked out that, so there's been 10 games in total, including the Conti Cup fixtures. Five of them, um, Roebuck has been on the bench and five of them she's been in the stand. So not even made the team sheet with Gareth Taylor preferring Sandy McIver, who's now the new Scotland international, on the bench with Keating starting all of the nine games bar one game, uh, the Conti Cup fixture, I think against Leicester, where Sandy McIver started. So Ellie Roebuck isn't even making... Conti Cup fixtures. And it's it's a weird one because we know from speaking with Carly Telford that Serena Viegman wants her goalkeepers playing. Absolutely. And, you know, I read your article um, you. about Ellie Roebuck. Very good. Thank um, you. And, and didn't Emma Hayes say that she hadn't really put any consideration into starting Hannah Hampton? Yeah. So how long until we don't see Hannah Hampton in the squad anymore? Like, where does that, you know, because Hannah Hampton had kind of become the unofficial number two, hadn't she? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is interesting and I, I just you know it'll be interesting to see what happens in January whether she stays I can't imagine she'll stay she's out of contract in the summer. summer and I'm assuming Man City would want some money for her I think we might see I think somebody asked us this last week about whether the January transfer window is a good time for goalkeeper movement really but I actually think we might see some goalkeeper movement well I mean she can't be happy she absolutely cannot be happy going from number one at club number two at country to not third choice keeper at club and not even in the squad for country anymore within the space of three to four months. I mean, you know this, goalkeeper, one of the hardest and probably most isolating roles in a team because, you know, once you're out, you're out kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not like you get subbed in during a game. So that in itself is is tough enough. But to then not even be making the squad, to then fall out of England, you know, mentally you have to be really tough in these situations I imagine well I think it's um it's difficult because I think if you there must be something happening obviously between Taylor and Roebuck I don't know what conversations are happening could be there contract was, conversations potentially the, the when we was when um Taylor was asked in the sort of press conference he was basically saying they, they're having conversations with her supporting her throughout this sort of difficult period for her but 
at the same time, there doesn't seem to be any clear narrative as to why this sudden sharp, significant drop in you know where she was heading. I mean, Ellie Roebuck is only twenty four, but I the can't experience get over that. that she has, I thought she was older, is incredible. Yeah. She's been in FA Cup finals. She's been at World Cup. She's played four times for Team GB, and now. Serena, I can understand there being a club conflict and her not starting and maybe being second for Kiara Keating if he wants to give Kiara Keating, who in her own right is a fantastic goalkeeper who needs experience and is improving week on week. But at the same time, then that doesn't translate into her being dropped for England. Well, it does if she's not playing. Like, if but you're it not... doesn't if you're you're the only narrative that Serena is given is that you're not playing. But then Hannah Hampton hasn't. True, but then when you think about it, with Hannah Hampton being the kind of second num- the number two goalkeeper. It's almost like, could she be next, if you know what I mean? But Rather I think than Hannah dropping Hampton both. has always been number three to Ellie Roebuck. Do you think so? Yeah, throughout the World Cup, I would have thought if, if something happened to Mary Earps, I would have gone Ellie Roebuck would be the natural set, number two. Yeah, because when you Nothing. think about the importance of that experience in a squad and how important, you know, being in camp has been and stuff like that, how important that is. Yeah, it's a very unusual one. It's a shame we have so little... But saying that, that, so for example, something happens to Mary Earps in the lead up to this game on Friday, the lead up to the game on Tuesday, is it Tuesday? Yeah. yeah. Um, Who do you put in? Well, that is the question now. Do you put in Kiara Keaton, who started pretty much all of Man City's games and had a, you know, an incredible start to the season? Or do you put in Hannah Hampton, who hasn't seen a single WSL minute this year and you know probably ha- well, has more England experience than Kiara Keaton has, who has never had a senior cap? It's it's such an interesting one. But and why would you? Why would Serena put herself in that situation? I don't know. Take a, you've got Mary Earps as your number one. Take a, a medium level goalkeeper like Ellie Roebuck, and then you have an absolute youngster like Hannah Hampton or and a goalkeeper Kiara who's Keaton. had that experience in. Major That's why I don't get. Yeah. And, and is someone like Kiara Keaton and Hannah Hampton going to challenge Mary Earps in the camps at the in the training sessions as much as one of these youngsters is? Like, does Mary Earps really think that? Oh, okay. Well, Kiara Keaton and Hannah Hampton are in, snapping at me in contention for that mm. for her shirt. No. Well, I don't get it. I don't get it. And like as we said, I don't like it, hun. We're kind of wrapping it into our international chat, but they're big games. They're big bloody games. And I think you know some players. People are arguing that some players should be in there in the squad and aren't in the squad. And I appreciate that. Like. We all want players who are playing well to be picked for England, but there is that element of experience and trust and a manager knowing a player and knowing they can do a job when they come off a bench. And that's what makes it interesting about the goalkeeper situation is how much trust you have in a player. So I don't know. We don't see what goes on in training. We don't no. know the conversations they're having. Um, Just to put this further context in this though, Roebuck was at the October England camp three weeks ago. Yeah, I don't understand. So Chloe's raging, guys. She's raging. <laughs> I am absolutely raging at the lack of information that is being given about this quite horrible situation mm. for Roebuck, who seems to have done absolutely nothing wrong. Even when the, the the issues were happening with Hannah Hampton, at least there was some narrative around it. You know, being maybe an attitude problem, her to mature to maybe come back, and sort of she's done that now. But there's not even kind of anything being given about this. So to, I just feel quite aggrieved actually. Yeah, and I'm thinking, do you know what? There could be another Manchester opening happening in the January transfer well, window. If, um, wink, wink. Oh, oh, nudge, oh, nudge, nudge, nudge. <laughs> if um, Mary Earps is um, doing a runner. Yeah, that could be, that's what I mean. There could be multiple goalkeeper movements. Right, Chloe, we do need to kind of further touch on this England well, business. We can't just talk about goalkeepers. We can't just talk session. about goalkeepers right, fine, because fine. England could potentially, in the next week, find out whether or not they're going to the Olympics and um, win both matches 
and potentially Belgium drop points as well. Netherlands are on nine, Belgium on seven, England on six. Yeah. Basically, England need to bloody avoid being relegated or, you know, ending up bottom of the group because that would be disastrous. Horrendous. Um, But yeah, and then it's weird because like some of those Scotland players could be in contention for Team GB. <laughs> Could we see Aaron Cuthbert being suddenly having an absolute shocker so, against England? Just, oh no, it's an own goal. <laughs> to add to sort of the conversations that we were having when this tournament first kicked off, we were like, okay, what the fuck is happening here? Because Scotland are in this. They can't qualify for the Olympics by themselves. It's only England that can do that. But England faced Scotland in these games. and Which now, could potentially be a massive game as well. <laughs> now England faced Scotland in what could be the decider for the Olympic <laughs> qualifications. But you also have someone like... Sandy McIver or, you know, Cuthbert or um, who else is there? There's like, is there like three Michael players, Thomas. I think, who are in contention sort of in the Scotland squad who could be making the Olympics, but it would be in their absolute best interest Sam for, for someone like Scottish one. Sandy <laughs> McIver to go, oh, I missed it. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, went through my arms, that kind of vibe. And I'm like, in, <laughs> I don't understand how we could end up with this level of cons, uh, uh, conflict at international level. Like, who has not thought about this? But we have some, tell us, who has already been kind of confirmed? Well, five out of 12 participants have already been selected, are in. They're absolutely job done. Uh, Brazil, Colombia, USA, France and Canada. Uh, during this international break, Canada's greatest ever player will be playing her final matches for Canada. Who am I talking about, Rach? Obviously, Christine Sinclair. And this is such a great segue. Go on. <sighs> She's retiring after Canada's doubleheader with Australia. You were speaking to Canadian journalist Harja Howe uh, to find out all about Christine Sinclair's final farewell. Thank you so much for joining us, Har. Um, Christine Sinclair started with the Canadian team way back in 2000. 2000, full stop. There's no and after that. Uh, when she was 16 years old. And since then, she has made 329 appearances and scored 190 goals. We know the numbers, but what is her legacy going to be, not just in Canada, but women's football? I mean, she's the GOAT. She's she's done it all. She's represented Canada for over two decades on and off the pitch. I'd say she's, you know, arguably not just one of Canada's best soccer players, which she is. She's one of Canada's top athletes that we've ever had in any sport. So her legacy is inspiring young kids to play on the women's national team. We've had players that have grown up watching her that are now her teammates, Jordan Heidema, Julia Grosso, uh, Lawrence Buchanan, just to name a few. So she's really inspired an entire country with how well she's played and how well she's carried herself. So her legacy is a lot more than what she's done on the pitch with 190 goals, you know, uh, winning gold, bronze. But it's more like her character and what she has done and what she means to our country that I think people will remember. You've covered the Canada national team for a while. What's the standout moment for you from Christine Sinclair's career in all the years you've been watching her? Is it possible to to pick a moment? Yeah, I started in 2012. So I'm thinking, wow, that's that's a long time ago. But I have to go back to the one game that everyone talks about in Manchester at Old Trafford. She scored the hat trick. We all know Canada lost to the States in controversy, if you will. But that game really put Canada on the map. It really got people talking about Christine Sinclair as one of the best players in the sport. It helped propel Canada to winning bronze, their first major medal at a, a major tournament. So 
I think that game, just her putting Canada on her back and saying, you know, we're not going to lose. Now, ultimately, they did. She had the hat trick. But I think that's when Canada finally, like, took major notice of the national team. And then you've seen what they've done since the London Olympics. But that game, to me, being in that stadium, watching her on a mission, I think that's the most memorable game I've seen her play in one of the most memorable games in women's soccer, full stop. Yeah, I was at that game as well. Um, teammate Melissa Tancredi said that after that 2012 Olympic semi-final defeat to the US, it was Sinclair who said, keep your heads up. I love this team. We've got a bronze medal to win and I'm not leaving here without one. Does that kind of summarize her mentality? Yeah, that's just, you know, Captain Christine Sinclair. She she doesn't have a lot of words to say. She kind of, she's quiet. She, she's humble. But, you know, in that locker room, talking to her teammates, inspiring them, you know, when when she has something to say, people listen because she means a lot and they, they understand the impact and how she carries herself. So when she said that, well, whoa, we, like, we better go get a bronze medal. Like, we better not mess about here. And so I think her comments and what she does, people take notice. And I think it's it's a powerful thing that she has. Mm. The team has um, obviously gone through plenty of ups and downs in Sinclair's time with them that 2015 defeat to England in the quarterfinals, for example. I'm not just bringing that up because we're an English football podcast, but yes, because it are. was, yeah, of course, come on, come on. <laughs> it was a home World Cup for them. Um, is her resilience and, and consistency throughout all of those kind of moments the most impressive thing about her? I wouldn't say it's the most impressive thing. I say it's one of the great things about her. She's rarely missed games due to injury, health. She's always available for Canada. Uh, I know in the, in the latter years, maybe she's not started as many games as she has previously, but she's always, you know, put up her hand and said, I'm going to represent my my country. So I think being healthy and fit for two decades, it really has helped her carry herself and represent Canada. So it, it's a remarkable thing. I think we've all seen injuries, ACL injuries in women's soccer. So to have her healthy and being available and representing Canada you know, it's something we, we don't see a lot and I don't think we will see going forward. So it's certainly impressive, but not the most impressive thing. Yeah, many, many impressive attributes for sure. Um, we've seen another giant of international football step down recently in, in Megan Rapino, And obviously they were both leaders in their national teams, but in, in very different ways, right? Like how would you describe Sinclair's maybe style of leadership? I would say they're both powerful leaders, but, you know, in the media and the fans being out there, they're very different. They're very opposite. You know, Megan Rapinoe is, you know, at an event or she's on TV. You'll know about it. You'll hear about it. You'll see her. Or Christine Sinclair is more quiet. She keeps to herself. But they're both very strong uh, female athletes, and they both represented their countries very well. Obviously, they played together in Portland in university, so they've known each other for a long time, going back uh, decades. So uh, very similar. They both, you know, they're both very vocal leaders inside the locker room. And I think it's going to be great to see how Canada honors Christine in her final game. We saw what happened with Megan Rapino with O.L. Reign in the U.S. national team, but. I think Canada is going to do something similar, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Um, she was, of course, very vocal when Canada's players went on strike earlier this year over equity issues and funding cuts, testified before a House of Commons committee and, and reiterated her criticism after their World Cup exit in the summer as well. You touched on it earlier on, but tell us more maybe about her impact off the pitch in that respect. Yeah, I think it's huge because, you know, like we said, she doesn't have 
She doesn't do a lot of media. She doesn't like to put herself out there. But when she was in the House of Commons and lending her voice, you know, that was a top story in this country. It's Christine Sinclair going to Ottawa and telling the Canada saga, you know, you better shape up. And it really meant a lot. And it was quite powerful in seeing what she said going into the World Cup and at the World Cup. You know, people have taken note that, you know, people want to see changes with Canada soccer and when someone like Christine Sinclair says what she did people notice that and they want to they want to help with funding they want to make sure it's a better place for the next generation of female athletes in the national team so I think I don't think it's done I think we'll see more from Christine Sinclair in regards to that going forward because she makes a big difference she makes an impact and you know when she does that people want to see better changes. Do you think with her leaving that how are the team kind of placed with that? Do you think she'll kind of still be involved in that fight despite not playing for the national team anymore? Or do you think there's other leaders that will step up as well? There's certainly other leaders. Uh, I look at Janine Becky. She's she's very vocal. Obviously, she's not been playing and she rehabs her knee injury. But there's certainly players on the national team uh, who have leadership qualities, who will step up. And I think we'll still see a little bit of Sinclair, but I don't I don't know what her role will be or what she's going to do post-retirement. Obviously, she's going to stay with Portland for another year. Um, there's been some discussion. Will she join maybe Bev Pressman's staff maybe a little bit? Or is she going to coach, maybe be a GM? Uh, I think it's up to her. So we'll see what she decides. I don't think she's going to be doing podcasts or you know broadcasting with the pundits. I can't Damn. see that, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, she'll be. She'll have a lot of opportunities, of course, and so I think she'll decide what what she wants to do uh, after her career in Portland. Um, she said, probably in typical Sinclair fashion, that she wanted to just walk off and not say a word and just just be done after the Olympic qualifiers. But she's been persuaded into something of a, a farewell tour, which you touched on. The second game against Australia is due to be held in at BC Place in Vancouver, um, which I've been to. Great stadium, and not far from Sinclair's home city of Burnaby. Um, what kind of occasion do you think that's going to be? Yeah, I like the fact that she just thought she would just go quietly into the evening. <laughs> oh, I'm done playing now. Good luck, guys. See you later. No, there's no chance of that happening. Obviously, there would be a send-off game. Of course, there would be a send-off game. In Vancouver, uh, the tickets are going really well. 35000 sold so far. Uh, they don't usually open up the Upper Bowl for the Whitecaps games where they play there. So it's going to be a massive crowd. They're going to honor Aaron McLeod uh, as well. And Sophie Schmidt's going to come back. She's going to play in that game for her last final game. And Christine said that, you know, Sophie's her best friend. So obviously going out with your best friend, it's going to be wonderful. Uh, BC Place has just announced today they are going to change the name to Christine Sinclair Place just for that one day. So uh, that's going to be huge. Uh, I know a lot of people are coming in for the game. A lot of her former teammates will be there. And I don't know if uh, people this will know, but I believe Christine will be launching her own uh, charity maybe the next day. So keep an eye on that, and that's some news. But, yeah, it's going to be massive to have that game in Vancouver and also in Langford. They're going to be playing Australia on Friday. So uh, two big games to honor Christine and Aaron and Sophie Schmidt. So it's going to be massive and it's well-deserved for sure. Yeah, I do actually. I love the way both in America and Canada that you do proper send-offs for your heroes. Um, it's it's only right. Um, 
Is it fair to say without Christine Sinclair that women's football in Canada would look nothing like it does today? Oh, it would be it's a true statement, 100%. You know, I don't know that they have one bronze, two bronze, even a gold medal because she has inspired, you know, Fleming and the likes of Grosso and Heidema. I mentioned, if, you know, if they're not seeing Christine play on this team for decades, are they picking up a soccer ball? Are they wanting to play, you know, football for Canada? I don't know. So definitely, if there is no Christine Sinclair, is there even a Canada national team program with all the budget cuts and all the financial challenges behind the scenes? So definitely, she's inspired a country, as I mentioned, and she's paved the way for so many athletes in this country. So uh, it's immense to see her playing for the two decades and. Canada will certainly honour her and it will be fantastic, hopefully. Hopefully she scores a goal. Well, how awesome would that be? Unbelievable. That would be the perfect send-off. Um, I think actually just having you on to talk about her has been the perfect way to kind of sum up her career as well because you've given us a real flavour of her impact and the longevity of her career um, both on and off the pitch. So I think you've done an excellent job, Har. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thank you very much for having me. Great to see you. What an interview. I feel like I know so much. I mean, I knew that she was a legend, but I didn't appreciate that she was like the legend that we should... Hearing from a Canadian about a Canadian legend, that's perfect. It's too much. It's great. Do we need to now make Christine Sinclair our first entrant into the Upfront Hall of Fame? I, I mean, mean, I thought Sophie Ingle was the first entrant, but um, yeah. absolutely. we could. Christine Sinclair can go in there. Um, she absolutely deserves to. I'd like... <sighs> She she's one of those you know when those kind of players your Martas your Christine Sinclairs and they start retiring and you're just like oh it's like they're all coming now makes me feel old it does yeah no it's very sad but she is an absolute legend of the game well keep submitting your suggestions to us listeners uh, there've been a lot of shouts for Jill Scott mainly because obviously throughout her entire career the absolute pinnacle of that has been her going into the jungle FIO of peep oh sorry yeah yeah and that as well yeah and just you know the Euros whatever um, keep them coming in we absolutely want to know who you want in the upfront hall of fame we don't care if it's a silly one we don't care oh if we it's love a... silly ones biggest shithouser yeah yeah you know uh, silliest moment worst celebration yeah biggest head loss worst tackle uh, love the biggest head loss love that best Cra- tackle craziest um, game worst manager post-match comments yes anything yeah silliest I don't know yellow card whatever it is just send us your suggestions. We absolutely want to hear them. Um, Rach, where are you off to this week? Where are you off to? Go on. England versus the Netherlands. I mean, there's only one game. Wembley. There's and only then, one game this weekend. And then we'll be doing Scotland as well. Lovely. I will be at the game as well. I'm going to rock up early. I'm going to take my spot on one of those lovely little benches at Wembley Box Park. I'm going to get myself nicely inebriated with at least four to five pints of classic IPA. And then I'm going to roll into the stadium (laughs) and watch England. And onto the pitch. (laughs) Keep an eye for her, guys. Move aside, Mary Earps. I've got this one. Or Kiara Keaton. She could be in goal. You never know. You don't. You just don't know. Do you know we do know? What? It won't be Ellie Roebuck. Don't bring me back to that again. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can find us on Instagram and X slash Twitter. I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball. And we are at Upfront underscore pod. You can also find us on YouTube. We are at Upfront pod. See you next week.
Upfront is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 